It's wonderful, as always, to be with you, Jonathan. How are you doing? Simply splendid, Seth. Mostly because I get to see your beautiful face on my screen. I wish it was in person, but hey, we'll celebrate this at least. Well, it's good to be together with you because of the wonders of technology. And because of technology, I get to ask you this very important question. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to write a paper from scratch or edit a paper of the same length? Easy. Edit a paper. Yeah, same. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who has, even just this year, written a lot and is preparing to write a lot more as, for whatever reason, I decide to go back to school again, I've got enough writing to do. I'd much rather look at someone else's writing, judge it, and tell them what to do, because that sounds way more fun. (laughs) Yeah, I actually enjoy editing, but I don't really enjoy writing that much. And I think it, it's my own baggage. Like, I feel my like my own pressure to, like, for it to be good. But when I edit, I don't feel that same pressure because, like, the end result's on the other person. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I did my best to help, but, like, they can do what they want with this. It's on them. But with that, I'll edit anything that you need me to as you go back to school. Thanks. I appreciate it. You were instrumental in editing my ordination papers this year, and those are probably longer than anything I'm going to write until my dissertation, so. (laughs) Yeah, they were. But I was glad to do it. Well, this one was easy because we agreed immediately. Yeah. So let's, let's just dive in. Okay, I'm ready. With our passage. Sounds good. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From the message. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life emerges. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade others to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him, who never did anything wrong, so that we could be put right with God. Great job reading that. Sometimes it's hard to read passages that you know really well from a different translation because like you want to start substituting that translation so that was a really good job reading from the message this time while you were reading is there anything that 
jumped out at you in general, or is there anything that's kind of particular to what Eugene Peterson does with his translation from what you you kind of remember this passage mm. to be like? Yeah, I mean, you're spot on about kind of being challenged and tripped up by a new translation, but I think it also, as we've talked about even recently, gives us new insights and perspectives into the same text that might feel stale or familiar to us. I really appreciated... So, you introduced it in the episode last week as a passage about reconciliation. I know you and I have encountered this passage as once explicitly about reconciliation, and yet the word reconciliation doesn't show up in this pa- in this paraphrase of the of the passage. And I really appreciate the way that Peterson interprets the idea of reconciliation in the passage. And I'm roughly estimating here, because I don't have another translation up to see where it exactly falls. But going back to the middle of, I think it's around verse 18, because it's not numbered exactly the same. It says, all this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and God and then calls us to settle our relationships with each other, putting the world square, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness. And God has given us the task of telling everyone what they're doing. That's such a profoundly simple way to talk about such a profoundly complex thing, like like reconciliation. (laughs) But I appreciate the emphasis there at the end of reconciliation is God's act. It's central to who God is and what God's done in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that too. I like also the way he kind of translates the second to last verse. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. I also really like that. I like this connotation of friendship. I think that that's easier to understand than like reconciliation. You hear that and you go, okay, like, like what a loaded word. Mm-hmm. But I would hope that everyone has, you know, a a friend at least who you can think like, oh, like you know, this is this is sort of what God is like. I think that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does a good job with this and kind of and taking like those theological buzzwords and like making it so understandable i think at least making the language much easier is there anything else that jumped out at you that you thought was interesting i mean honestly seth on what you were just talking about i'm thinking of i don't know if you've heard this song the phillips craig and dean song called friend of god where essentially they just repeat, I am a friend of God, over and over and over and over and over and over again. (laughs) We used to jam out to that song in youth group, just saying. Uh, (laughs) The other thing that I really liked about this translation, though, is how it renders what I think is actually really complex Greek, (laughs) from what I know about this passage. Talking about what I would traditionally translate as as if anyone is in Christ, usually translated as he is a new creation, we kind of get some in this translation of the exclamation that I think is 
present in the Greek too. Like it's not a it's not a input output thing. It's like if this process is happening, this process is also happening alongside it. It's not just about the individual becoming made new in mm-hmm. Christ. It is about that individual being swept up in the larger act of new creation of putting the world square that God's up to uh, that is happening alongside whatever might be happening in, with the individual too. And so I love the idea that when anyone is united with Christ, they get a fresh start and they're created new, but also that means they're being caught up and swept up in this larger movement. If my memory serves me right and if yours serves you right you know we often translate it like if anyone is in christ just like you said you know there's a new creation but the second is verb isn't there so it's just like if anyone is in christ new creation like paul's just getting like super excited he's just like he forgets about the verbs and he's like new creation yeah paul's so excited about what's going on and what that individual moment, how it connects to the larger cosmic moments that he just forgets all the other things. It'd be like me sending you a text message and just saying, this show I just watched dope. (laughs) Like (laughs) getting so pumped about it that it just doesn't matter anymore. That was a good example. To be clear, I'm saying the show is dope in a positive way, not calling you a dope. Uh, Yeah, I got that. I did understand. But that was a good clarification for our listeners. If you had called me a dope, that wouldn't have been a very good example of of what friendship or reconciliation looks like. No, it would have been a better example of what Paul does in, like, Galatians. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's a very specific joke that I'm glad you appreciate. Yeah, that was a that was a very niche joke. Well, I've been thinking about friendship slash reconciliation. I think I'm just going to use the term friendship because I think that that's really more helpful. Thinking about relationships, and I've been thinking about the way that we approach relationships that are that are broken or strained and we like want to fix them and I wonder how this passage applies to those situations like I'm thinking specifically about like interpersonal relationships between people like who we've hurt or who have hurt us I just wonder especially when we've hurt others if we can even use this passage like a club like we're like no i I have this says i have to Mm. reconcile i have to be friends with you i guess what i'm really asking is like can we weaponize this passage too and if so like how can we kind of guard against that well short answer to the first part yes I think we both can identify ways that this is weaponized. I mean, I think you talked about how we can kind of weaponize this against ourselves, but oftentimes we do that because of how we've seen it weaponized against others too. And I think 
one of the the spaces that I I see this language, and I, I guess I would more so lean on the word reconciliation over friendship in this context, but thinking about the idea of racial reconciliation as a term that seems to be more favorably looked upon for people who might bristle at the idea of racial justice or racial equity. Um, oftentimes the assumption is like racial reconciliation just means that the only thing we need to do is just like get to the table together, get in the same room, but it's never quite that easy. It's never quite that clean. It's never quite that equal either. Hmm. Because hmm. especially when it comes to racial reconciliation, to use that language, you know, I would say white folk often are, you know, already sitting at the table. They're already owning the building that the table is in. And they're expecting black and brown folks and people of color to come to their space on their terms. And it's very rarely an expression of mutuality, an expression of humility, oftentimes done with good intentions, I would say, but not necessarily in the spirit of repentance and the spirits and in the spirit of mutuality and friendship that I think is accentuated in our passage today too. But at the same time, Seth, I think the thing that's challenging is honestly especially compared to some of the things that we talked about in our last episode, this passage presents a pretty radical framework of how God relates to us. It's not very hierarchical Hmm. at all. (laughs) It's mutual. It is friendship. It is invitation into a shared life. And when we aren't able to abandon our power and privilege to enter into relationship with others with whom we might genuinely seek reconciliation, how can we expect that to be successful when even God gave up God's true power and privilege to do that with all of us? I don't, it's just, it's such a contrast of a God who is mutual, a God who gets down and stoops down and walks in the dirt, sits in the dirt with us, compared to the image of God that we could see in this passage, that we could see in our passage from last week, that is so much higher than us, whose ways are far above our ways. But that God is my friend? I don't know, it's just a really striking image to me. Hmm. But you can certainly see how an unwillingness to kind of explore that, I would say pretty, again, really radical and challenging view of our relationship with God, you could see how an unwillingness to go down that route could turn into weaponizing this passage into kind of sweeping stuff under the rug or victim blaming or putting people in situations where they aren't actually safe in the name of forgiveness and reconciliation, um, especially when we're forcing ourselves or others into those spaces before we're ready to be there. As much as I love this translation if i have one gripe one nitpick it's the line god uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into god's work of making things right between them if there's one thing that i want to push back against as hard as i can it's this idea that we have to drop our differences in order to be to be friends, 
to be reunited, to be reconciled, to somehow be in Christ. I think, I don't know a better word than this. I think what's miraculous is that all of our differences can subsist in Christ. Or maybe one way to think of it is that in Christ, our differences are different. That they don't separate us in the same way that they do here. Yeah. It's almost like instead of separating us, they celebrate us or they connect us to parts of our past and our community that we don't often acknowledge. Sometimes that connection is encouraging and sometimes it's challenging, but imagine a space where that is, it's not just welcome, it just is, you know, being able to be fully yourself in relationship with others. I mean, I think that's, those are the spaces where we feel most known, most seen, is where we don't feel like we have to put up false pretenses to exist in a space or drop differences, mm-hmm. to use the language from this translation. It feels like a rather careless choice of words, honestly. Because I don't yeah, I agree. I don't think God actually demands that we leave behind the things that are different about us to become swept up in the new creation. I agree. For how carefully I think the rest of the words were chosen in this passage, at least that's my reading of it. I wish Eugene Peterson had spent another, you know, 15 seconds on that one line. Because I think just as you were talking before about racial reconciliation, that dropping our differences is often one of the ways that people want to kind of seek racial reconciliation. The move is, oh, you know, we're so much more alike than we are different. Oh, we're all the same on the inside. Oh, we're all human. And it's just another way of erasing the experiences of the oppressed. Because we are so unable to hold things that we perceive as contradictory as truth together. Sure, we do have things in common. We, We do. That's undeniable. But because we have things in common doesn't mean that the things that are so starkly different about us and are so different about how we are able to walk and exist in this world, it doesn't mean those things go away. It's not either or. It's another situation where the binary is so unhelpful for understanding our lived reality. Because when, I'll explicitly say, because when white people say often, there's not that much that distinguishes us, we're, we're fundamentally the same. That's an erasure. But I will say, Seth, that when I've been in community with people who don't look and love or spend money like I do or like I'm able to, when I've had that said by someone who comes from a community that's historically been marginalized, it's in that space that it feels more like an invitation, a really gracious Mm -hmm. invitation. Mm -hmm. For someone to look at me and to carry the weight 
or consider the weight of all that maybe my people have done to their people and say, you're still welcome here. That's grace. <laughs> and it's also get, you know, turning the systems of power on their head saying who is actually inviting whom to the table. And so again, it's not an either-or situation where just saying that we're the same is always a bad thing. But we need to be really mindful to hold in tension the fact that our similarities and our differences exist together. The never-ending system of Venn diagrams that has some overlap <laughs> and some, some disparity. Yeah. Hmm. It never ends. And that's okay we can't pretend it's not there that's when we do more harm yeah like your image of never-ending venn diagrams i'm thinking about this in the context of lent just like we've been talking about for the last three weeks this being the fourth lent is introspective it makes us think about ourselves and and our relationship with others and with God. And I think that that's exactly what this passage is about, right? Our relationship between God and then our relationship with others. But I also think for me, this is just my own kind of personal takeaway, is to think really specifically about who I'm in relationship with and who I kind of use my power and privilege to force myself to be in relationship with whether or not you know they want that relationship at all and in the opposite way of how you were talking about how great it feels to be welcomed somewhere where like as a white person you've historically perpetuated you know lots of harm on marginalized communities it can hurt when you're excluded but i also think that you know we have to we have to recognize the harm that's been done and then to give agency to the people who are making those decisions about who's invited and who's involved and who they want to be you know, friends with or in relationship with. I think my takeaway, if I can put it this way, is that I often operate with the assumption that like everybody wants to be friends with me but i have to ask whether that's an, whether that's an accurate assumption i hope so <laughs> yeah right like i hope so but yeah you know, and, and it's like, oh, maybe not and you know Seth, i'll tell you something i've been really convicted about this lent too you know with just a lot of the changes that have been going on starting at work at a new university even now you know celebrating becoming ordained this summer and starting a PhD program. It's like, there's a lot that's happening that's giving me more and more access to more and more like prestigious spaces. Hmm. Hmm. And I've been kind of wrestling with like, how do I set, like, how do I posture myself as I'm in this transition? Because there's part of me that's really, really drawn to what do I need to do to get ahead? What do I need to do to gain influence? What do I need to do to kind of move my way up in the org chart? Those kinds of questions. 
And I think there's a strong call for me to keep pushing the inside out. Hmm. We were in our small group the other night and our friend Nick led us through this awesome experience of um, doing some labyrinths with our fingers. I don't know if you've ever done a labyrinth, either walking or with a finger. I was like, I was so drawn in those moments of reflection when I was on the outermost parts of the circle that I was tracing my finger through. And it was almost like God was just reminding me to linger there. Hmm. And it's, but you're exactly right that it is in many ways counterintuitive for those of us that are used to holding power, those of us that are used to having privilege to operate in a way that's conducive to building God's friendship. Hmm. We really need to be mindful of what's getting in the way of doing that. This is the tough, terrific parts of Lent. Like when you get to ask, you know, who am I? What position do I have? What power? What privilege? What does it look like to give it up? What does it look like to be in relationships with people that are mutual in which I don't have the power to initiate the friendship or the, or the relationship whenever I want? Yeah, Lent always makes us ask questions, I guess, about who we are and, and how, how the gap between us and God exists you know how how big is it how wide is it how deep is it well with that maybe it's time to pray that sounds great Seth God of compassion you welcome the wayward and you embrace us all with your mercy clothe us with garments of grace feed us at the table of your love We pray this through the one who initiates our relationships, not by power and privilege, but out of the lowliness of love. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We're so glad you're part of this conversation with us. Next week, Seth, it's a big, big day. It's time for our 100th episode, so tune in for some very special celebrations. But until then, thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. Thanks for helping me tell not just this one, but 49 others. 48 others? Am I 48? Maybe 48. Because if we're 99, just say thanks for helping me tell it. (laughs) Thanks for helping me tell it. And 48 others. Now we have both. We have 49 and 48. You can patch it together however you want. Thanks for helping me tell it. There we go. And you have just that if you want to use that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I need a haircut. So Me too. It's good our listeners can't see. Yeah, we should call this No Shag Spurts Allowed. But then we couldn't do the show. (laughs) Definitely cutting that out. Sure.